Let's take our Bibles today, be turning to the Gospel of Mark. For those of you who are guests today, thank you for worshiping with us. We've been going on Sunday mornings with um, rare exceptions through the Gospel of Mark for some time now, and we're in Mark chapter 12. We're going to read over the passage that we read last Sunday and uh, bring our text, uh, our message today from that same passage, Mark chapter 12. Um, in, in case you maybe are not familiar with this passage or haven't been with us recently, we've been following the journey of Jesus uh, through his earthly ministry and then as he makes his final uh, entrance into the city of Jerusalem and what met him there, um, he turned, went in on the second day and turned the tables of the money changers over and, and um, then he comes back and begins to teach them, and we're looking at several different teachings that took place on this same day. We're only really a day or two out from when Jesus would be crucified. This is how he spent his last moments on earth, both teaching those who followed him and facing his critics straight on. And so if you're able to stand, stand with us for the reading of the scripture, Mark chapter 12 beginning in verse 13, where the Bible says, And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians. So this was a delegation handpicked, perhaps by the Sanhedrin, certainly by religious leaders. They came to Jesus to, look what it says in verse 13, to catch him in his words. That's their whole mission. That's their purpose. That's their objective. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest not for man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the word of God in truth. Now they, they were just using flattery. They were uh, building him up for what they hoped would be the gotcha question that would, would do him in. So here's the question in verse 14. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? So there's the question. It has to do with giving a tribute to Caesar. But he, knowing their hypocrisy, knowing their hearts, knowing how hypocritical they were, he said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? Whose image is on this coin? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. This would have been a good passage to have dealt with a few months ago when you were working on your income tax. <laughs> Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And uh, we're going to speak a little while and learn a little while about rendering to Caesar and to God. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Let's pray again. Father, please help as we study today. Give us open hearts and minds as we've already asked you and speak to us through the word of God. 
We thank you for this powerful book, the words that came directly from you to us, and we're grateful for them, and we want to learn from them and apply them. Help us to see what we need to see and do what we need to do today, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday, uh, in case you weren't with us last Sunday, we focused on this very important aspect of their hypocrisy. It tells us in verse 15, Jesus knowing their hypocrisy, and we dealt with how evil this hypocrisy was to use flattery to try to build Jesus up so they could catch him. And the reason they want to catch him, in case you weren't uh, with us last week, is because um, they needed, the Jewish people, these Jewish leaders needed for Rome to, to uh, capture Jesus, to arrest him. They could not, the Jews could not legally kill him and they wanted him dead. The Romans could execute him and so they're going to try to trick him in a way that, that one or two things will happen. Either he will say, don't pay your taxes, which will turn Rome against him. Or he'll say, pay your taxes, which will turn the Jewish people against him because they hated Rome. So either way, it's a, it's a, it's a gotcha moment. So let's look at this passage together. And um, beginning in the last part of verse 14 where it says, Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Is it lawful? Let's just think about that word first of all, lawful. Now, we think of lawful in terms of what is legal, but this is not a legal inquiry on their part. It's a really a theological question. It's, they're not concerned about Roman law. They're concerned about God's law. These are Jewish leaders. And so the question is, uh, we know that Roman law requires people to pay these taxes, but what about God's law? If you look there in verse uh, 14, the word tribute uh, is an interesting word. In our English language, it has numerous definitions. Uh, but the, the Greek word that's translated there is kensos, K-E-N-S-O-S, with a hard K, kensos, we would say it. But it's from we, where we get our word census. And it's the same as a census, really. It's, um, it's, it's, and it's a form of a tax. It's, it's the, it was what Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem to pay. We remember that in Luke chapter 2. Well, this, because of this decree of Caesar Augustus, all the world would be taxed. And so every citizen, this is important to understand, every citizen was required to pay this tax every year. Um, in days gone by, some of you would remember this, in days gone by in America, we called it a poll tax. You had, everybody had to pay the poll tax. If you were going, I see people nodding your head, they remember that. Most of you wouldn't. A poll tax meant you had to pay your taxes or you couldn't vote. And I think it was the 24th Amendment that did away with the poll tax. So now you can owe taxes and still vote. But uh, that was a required tax. Everyone who wanted to vote had to pay this tax. And so the, every Roman citizen or every resident of Rome had to pay this tax. And um, so they're asking about, does God, does God expect us to pay this? Is this lawful according to God's law? Would God, think about this through the eyes, through the lens of the Jewish community in Israel. They're occupied by the Roman government. The great Roman Empire has conquered the region. And only because of the Herods do they have any kind of really um, 
outlet or sympathy as far as Rome is concerned. So were we, do we have to pay this tax to an ungodly Roman government? That's the question, basically. Is it lawful? And again, you have to keep in mind their motive. Their motive is not really interested in the tax. They're interested in somehow making Jesus appear to be anti-Rome, like an insurrectionist. We want Jesus to look like a rebel against the Roman Empire so Rome would deal with him. And this was, you know, as we read it, sometimes we don't really capture the significance, I think, of what this subject was about. I, I find this very interesting and we can see this in a moment in the Bible, that about 27 or 28 years prior to this, Jesus was about, as far as his earthly uh, life on this earth, he was about five or six years old. So about that time, there was a, another man, his name was Judas, also from Galilee, not from Judea. And he started a rebellion against the Romans on the part of the Jews because they didn't want to pay this tax. And so, as a matter of fact, hold your finger here in Mark and go with me uh, to the book of Acts. And in Acts uh, chapter 5, Luke records something about this. Acts chapter 5. And let's just look in verse 37. The larger context here is the discussion about what the religious leaders are going to do with these disciples because they're a presence that has to be dealt with there in Jerusalem. And there was a man who was raised up whose name was Gamaliel, and he basically said, if, if God's in it, then it's going to last anyway. If God's not in it, then it's going to come to nothing. But look what he said in verse 37 of Acts chapter 5. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. So this was common knowledge in Jerusalem. That some 25 years or more prior to this, there was another man, another man from Galilee, who has started up this anti-tax uh, mindset, and they, they did away with him. They, they, the, the Romans wanted their tax money and they didn't want these Jewish people saying we're not going to pay our tax. So the question is to, they're presenting this to Jesus and they want, they want Jesus to say no, don't pay tax to Rome. But if you look at all these pieces you can understand why this was sort of the religious leader's best hope. Um, if we can just get Jesus to oppose Rome um, then the Romans will turn against him. So look in verse 15 of our text, Mark, Mark chapter 12, verse 15. Shall we give or shall we not give? Does God want us, does God require us to pay taxes to this cruel government? Are we obligated? This is a Gentile government. We're Jewish people. We're God's people. This is an idolatrous government. We worship God and him only. These are invaders. This is an oppressive enemy into our nation. Does God want us to pay taxes? Verse 15, it says, Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why tempt you me? Why? The word tempt means to test or to try or to entice. Why are you trying to catch me? 
Now, why did Jesus say that, I wonder? Why did he say to them, why? I think he wanted them to understand that he's owned to them. Well, your, your motive is not pure. You're not coming for the right reason. So he says then in verse um, 15, bring me a penny that I may see it. Now, again, as the Americans, we think of a copper coin, right, a penny. But that's not exactly the penny they were using at that time. Matter of fact, it was nothing like it. It was a very common coin, but it was not like a one cent piece. It's actually, the Greek word is denarion. And it came from a Latin word, denarius, which would mean the equal, the equal value of ten donkeys. Ten. So bring me a coin, this, this Roman silver coin in New Testament times. Now, I think, it's, I think it's worth mentioning this. What then, if it's not worth a penny, like we think of, what is the word, what does that word penny mean? How much is it worth? We're not going to turn to it, but in Matthew's gospel, we have a good explanation. When a man went out and hired laborers to work in his vineyard for a penny a day. So they were going to work all day for one of these coins, a penny. So it's like a day's wages. It would be the equivalent of a day's wages. Now, it didn't, it didn't say that this is the amount of that annual tax, but it very well could have been. The, you know, because if you could take your, let's say you make uh, $15 an hour, you work eight hours a day, that's $120 a day, a day's wages. And so that would be like your payment for the annual tax. You'd have to pay a day's wages. And it very well could be that that's what it was, but it doesn't say that. But he asked for that penny. And then he says in verse 16, um, And they brought it, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? Whose picture is it on this? Now, again, in that day and age, the Romans were governed, the whole Roman Empire was governed by these um, emperors, which were, relig were not religious people, they were they were pagan people, but they would put, each one would put their image or their likeness on a coin. And so he says, whose image is on this? I was thinking about this um, yesterday, and I pulled out a coin out of my desk drawer, and it's, a, it's actually a 50-cent piece, uh, minted in 1954, the date of my birth. And it has someone's picture on it. Anybody want to guess whose picture's on it? Going once. Ben Franklin, you win. Tom Grone gets it. <laughs> By the way, just for what it's worth, that, that 50 cent piece is worth $13 now. So anyway, so there's, a, there's an image on there. Ben Franklin, and there's writing on there. So Jesus gets this coin, and he asks, whose picture is it? And they all said, I, I'm assuming they just said this out loud in verse 16, and they said unto him, Caesar's. That's, they're getting to the whole point. That's Caesar's image on the coin. Uh, I, I consulted uh, the source of all good theological answers, Google, about this. And, uh, and I asked Google about the coin that would have Tiberius Caesar, because I wanted to verify this, own it. And there's, there's a picture of it. And it shows Tiberius Caesar's picture on a coin that people have now. It's worth more than $13, by the way. And written on it, though, this is the interesting part. Written on it, it says Tiberius Caesar, 
son of divine Augustus. Now, what does the word son of, what does the word divine mean? It means from God. The emperors demanded worship. And the coin itself was, had a, a, a figure on it, an image on it, and it was a call for the, for the people of Rome to worship Augustus or to worship the Caesar at that time. Augustus, as I said, was considered a god. Christians in the Roman persecution time were, were killed for refusing to worship the emperor. So again, I'm going back to what, this whole question. Should we give to Caesar? Should we give a tax to Caesar? And Jesus did not answer the way they expected. Look in verse 17. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. I mean, I believe this just probably took the wind right out of their sails. Rend to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. They had tried to trap him and failed. So let's look at that passage today as it pertains to them and also as it pertains to us. Render to Caesar the things that are, belong to Caesar. He said to these people, he had this coin with, with Caesar's picture on it, and he says, give Caesar what is due Caesar. Now, one thing Jesus was not, I don't think anybody here would be um, maybe misled about this, but just in case, Jesus was not anti-government. He could have, if he was, he could have, he could have, declared it right there. He didn't say, don't give Caesar anything. He didn't say, we're against the government. Um, he told them basically to pay their taxes. You, you give to Caesar what's due to Caesar. And I want to, before we, before we get further into this, I think it'd be a, you'd find this interesting. I want to take a, another look at the corruption of these people that are answering the, asking the questions. Now, we're in Mark chapter 12. And we're going to go to two passages. Go, first of all, uh, to the left, to the book of uh, John. Or, excuse me, to the right, to the book of John. John chapter 19. This, both of these passages that we're going to look at briefly had to do with the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. In John chapter 19, in verse 12, it says, And from thenceforth... Pilate sought to release him. So Jesus is standing before Pilate, before he's crucified. Pilate sought to release him. Notice this now. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Isn't that something? These who hated Caesar so much, are saying to Pilate, if you let him go, you're not a friend of Caesar. Look in verse 15 of that same chapter. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? Notice this, the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Here they're trying to get Jesus to say no to Caesar and they're just pledging their allegiance. To Caesar. There's another place that I find equally fascinating. Go to the left from John to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 and beginning in verse 1, it says, The whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. They're bringing 
Jesus to Pilate. Verse 2 says, And they began to accuse him, saying, Notice what these Jewish leaders are saying about Jesus. We're in Luke 23, verse 2. We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Here they just flat out lie and say, we found this man give, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. What did Jesus say? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. I'm telling you, when people, people are hypocrites, when people have evil intentions, they will go, they'll stoop to know nothing so low that they wouldn't just lie, corrupt, make things up. We see it in our world. Some, some of you may have experienced it in your life. And that's exactly who these people are. I mean, I think it's important that we understand um, how really corrupt and evil these critics of Jesus were. So let's go back to Mark chapter 12 again. So the, quest, the, the comment of Jesus is, render to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. I take that to mean pay the tax. The, one, the, the thing you're belly aching about, the thing you're complaining about, pay the tax. Now I'm going to go to the second half of his statement. But I want to apply this to our life too. Because I think it's worth mentioning this whole matter about us. I mean, we don't have a Caesar, but we do have a government. We do have a, a government that we are responsible to. This uh, Recently on a Wednesday night, it may have been this past Wednesday night, maybe the Wednesday night prior to that, we dealt with that Romans 13 passage. And I'm not going to turn to it. I want to read one verse. Verse 7, it says this. Render therefore, this is not, this is not the Gospels, this is not the Old Testament. This is Paul, Paul writing in the book of Romans. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So the New Testament tells us, young people, catch this. The New Testament tells us the same thing Jesus told the Jews. Render to Caesar, give, pay your taxes. Now, a little bit of a um, transparency here. Most of us would believe that taxes are excessive. Now, if you don't think you pay enough taxes, then I'll give you some of mine to pay. And you'll feel much better about it, and I'll feel a lot better about it. There's much in government that's wasteful. There's a lot of unnecessary bureaucracy. I think their entire parts of our cabinet could be dismantled and done away with and we'd be a better country for it. But taxes in and of themselves are not necessarily evil. I mean, we have roads and bridges because we have taxes. We have police defense, at least for a while, because we have taxes. We have military defense because we have taxes. We have citizenship the right as citizens to be represented in the government because we have taxes. And I can tell you from driving around 
yesterday. We have great chug holes and potholes that seem like bottomless pit. I, mean, I don't know why, if that's because we have taxes or not enough taxes, but we have them. So there's some, there's some good we can say about taxes. It's not all bad. Like, and because we have, and this is a little bit off, off the uh, straight and narrow moment, but, but we have the right to vote. I mean, I've seen this many times. You have two on the, on the ballots where you can vote on whether you want to increase your taxes for the uh, school system. You want to rate, increase your taxes uh, for police protection, not police protection, but high, uh, fire departments. In other words, you, we get to vote on those things, right? We don't, we're not just bound to pay all those things. We can vote, so it's not the same thing. We, you know, by the way, that's one of the one of the grievances of the colonists against Britain because they wanted the mother country wanted us to pay all these taxes, but we didn't have a voice in it. But here, we do have a voice in it. So at this point, we have. There's some benefits from taxes, and, and I, never, I never, ever feel inclined to pay more taxes than is required. I never just say, here's another hundred bucks just for good measure. I never do that. <laughs> but I know that I have been clearly instructed in the Word of God to render to Caesar what is Caesar's, Right? And, and, and I, as a Christian, I think we ought to take that seriously. So the first part of the answer of Jesus in Mark chapter 12 is, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, in verse 17, and to God the things that are God. The second thing he said to them is, you, you give Caesar what is due him, but here's the larger question to me. You give God his due. What is he due? I mean, these men were religious leaders. These people, if you went back to Old Testament time, these priests, these high priests, these priests, these people that were uh, custodians, really, of the oracles of God, God gave the word of God to Israel. They were, they were the custodian of the temple worship, of the, the symbols that were involved in the worshiping of God, and all they are is a bunch of corrupt scandals, really. And what he says, why don't you give Caesar what he's due, but why don't you give God what he's due? Give the penny to Caesar, but more importantly, give yourselves to God. Give God what he's, what he's really due. Give him the honesty that he's due. Give him the truthfulness that he is due. Give him obedience. Give him sincere worship. And all they were giving was hypocrisy. Amen. But then what about us? What about the second part of that as far as we're concerned? Give to God what is due Him. Would you answer this question in your mind today? Being as sincere with yourself as you know how to be? What, what do we owe God? And you may be sitting here and honestly thinking, well, I don't really think I owe God anything. And obviously I'd beg to differ with you. Amen. What do we owe God? We also, like the Jews, we owe Him honesty. We owe Him sincerity in our worship. We, love him, we owe Him love and devotion. And, 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 and Jesus answered this question more than once. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart. That's what we owe God. Young person, that's what we owe God. Amen. To love Him with all of our heart. 
to be sincere and honest before God and before others, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not just saying the words, but our hearts are worshiping the living God and the message of God that we have in His Word and in, and in music. I was, uh, had, I, you know, occasionally, several times a year, I have opportunity to worship in churches other than ours. And um, it's some kind of a conference, usually um, there maybe as a speaker, but usually. But um, I get to sit in church. I like sitting in church service. Here, all I have to do is sit up here and look at you. And it's okay, but I find it kind of interesting to sit out there and look this direction. And not too awful long ago, I was in a place where I was sitting there and um, the song service are going on. And I'm watching people sing. And I'm watching the sincerity of their worship. You know, you can see, you can see a lot in a person's body language when they're singing. How sincere they are, how, how focused they are. But I would also see people who were just sort of um, totally distracted, looking around, not singing, not focused, not in tune at all. And I, in my mind, matter of fact, I was at one particular place, the person was there that I was just convinced this man, if body language says anything, he wouldn't know God if he met him in a phone booth. If you don't know what a phone booth is, I'll explain it to you later. <laughs> And I found myself night after night praying for this man, sitting there that God would work in his heart, that God would do something in him. Maybe he was sitting there so focused on praying for everybody else, he looked like he wasn't paying attention. Who knows? But the point is, we owe God sincerity in our worship. We owe that to God. And, and in case you hadn't thought about it lately, God paid a great price that we could know him in a personal way. He sent his only son who died a death so cruel, so savage, that it's hard for us to even imagine what it was like so that I could call him my father and know that I have a relationship with him. Now, some of you here are not saved. You don't have that relationship with God. But I'm telling you, I owe him my life. From sinking sand, he lifted me. God lifted me up. God lifted me up out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings, and put a new song in my heart, even praise unto my God. We owe God everything. We owe him our worship. We owe him our sincere worship. We owe Him our service to serve the Lord, not, not because we somehow have to, but because we want to, because the God who gave us life will allow us to serve Him. We owe Him that. We can read in the Bible numerous places. will not turn there. Most of you are familiar with them. Where the Bible speaks as plain, as simple, as clear as can be possibly spoken that every person, every individual person who belongs to God has been saved that he might serve in the church with the gifts that God has given him. It's in the Bible. We owe him our service. We owe him our devotion. We owe him our faithful obedience. 
We owe him, as I said earlier, our lives. I was reading again this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of God? And then he says, Our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Our life... Young person, your life doesn't belong. If you're saved, your life does not belong to you. Someone purchased you. Someone paid a price for you. There's something wrong with the idea that I'm going to go to Jesus so he'll save me from going to hell and I'm going to just live for myself the rest of my life. That is not taught in the Bible. It's not there. You're believing something that's not true. The day I got saved... The day I got saved, I got saved from a life of selfishness and sinfulness. I lived for me every day. I did what I wanted to do. I went where I wanted to go. I said what I wanted to say. And it didn't matter to me what anybody thought. But the day I got saved, someone else took ownership of my life. And you say, well, I don't really want anybody telling me what to do. Well, maybe then you need to get born again. Right? What do we owe him? We owe him everything. Our lives belong to him. Our time belongs to him. You know, there's something to me that's implied in this passage. See if you hear this, if you don't agree with this, and that's this. This is the implication. When Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. What I think is implied is that we can give the government what is required of us. And we can give God what he requires of us. And one of those things should not negate the other. We can do both of them. We can give God what he'd want us to. We give to the government what God wants us to. Now we understand this and I'm not going to dive into this because we've been covering a lot of this on Wednesday nights. There are times when the government says you can't and God says you must. And in those times we have to obey God and not man. But generally that's not the problem. There's another thing about this passage and I'll end with this. There's a major difference when it comes to accountability when we talk about rendering to Caesar or rendering to God. The government can and will see to it that you pay your taxes. You may get away with it for a while and you may get away with it forever, but most likely they're gonna come knocking on your door. It's called the IRS. This year's budget is 11 billion with a B dollars. For, for a group of people, by the way, 74,000 full-time employees whose job is to make sure you pay your taxes, right? But there is no human agency that's job it is to enforce that we render to God what is His. Nobody's going to police that. The IRS is not going to call you or knock on your door or send you a friendly letter and say, we haven't spoken face-to-face for a while. Maybe we could get together. We'll call it an audit. It's really a... 
See, if, listen, if we're not giving God what we should, if we're not serving God as He deserves, if we're not loving God like we ought to, if we're not worshiping God sincerely, nobody's going to contact us. Nobody's going to give us a citation. Nobody's going to send us a fine or penalize us for being late. We're going to have to do it on our own. Maybe, maybe it would help us if we had that, but we don't have that. But you know, where, you know where the check ought to come? It ought to come in our heart. God deserves our very best. God deserves our life, our service, our love. We owe Him. We don't owe Him like we can somehow pay back a debt. We'll, we, if we, you know, we sing songs often about the fact that we're going to be praising Him forever. That's a long time. We're going to be thanking Him. I mean, I don't know what all is going to happen the moment we get to heaven. I'm sure we're going to have some reunion. I'm sure we're going to be able to speak to people that we love and we've missed and but I'm sure, if not initially, it won't be long till we'll make a beeline to wherever Jesus is and say thank you. I've been saying thank you for all these years, right? 45 years. Day after day, thanking God for his goodness in our life. But I believe... 10,000 years from now, I'll still be saying thank you. Thank you for not giving me what I deserved. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for washing me, cleansing me. Thank you. Nobody's going to make you do that. But I'll tell you, if you know him, you ought to want to do that. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And render unto God the things that are God's. Do you know him today? Think about it. Do you, do you, have, a, do you have a personal relationship with him? Do you, has there been a time in your life when you personally, when you personally looked at the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and said, he did that for me? He did that for me. He died that I could know him. He died for my sins. He paid for my sins. And just knowing that will not make you a Christian. But the moment you say, I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior, His promise is that He will give us eternal life. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And if you're here today and that's never happened to you, you don't know that, you ought to come to Him today. Let's bow our heads together for a moment of prayer. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God's. Our Father, as we pray today, I want to thank you for the portion of scripture that we've read today and talked about and learned from and fathers we pray today 
We think about the Jews, we think about their hostility, their hypocrisy, their hatred, deception. But Lord, we also look at ourselves. And we want to take seriously the words that you said there in that temple area in the final week of your life on earth. Render unto God the things that are God's. Lord, we, we acknowledge, I acknowledge before you that I, I need to take it seriously. I know that I've not always given you everything that you demand or deserve. Sometimes in our attitude, it's not what it should be. Our actions fall short. But God, would you work in our hearts this morning? Because we want to give you what you deserve. The worship you deserve, the obedience you deserve, the service you deserve. 